5. So we've been going uh, on a journey through the book of James, and today is our last Sunday in the book of James. Chapter 5, we are the prayer of the righteous. The prayer of the righteous is the title of this sermon. I'd like to say, if you are a guest this morning, which I think we have a lot, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, Whether you're a church member or not, we believe that the Lord knew a million years ago that this day would happen. And I believe with all my heart that God's in the house, and He wants to move. He wants to speak, and He wants to do something in your life. And so that's why, because we believe that, that's why we're about to spend time in His Word, because it's not the words of a person that can help you. It's God's Word that can break chains in your life. It's God's Word that can help heal a broken heart. It's God's Word that speaks and never returns void. And that's what we're about to do. So I want to encourage you to be open-minded, to be open to what the Lord may say to you. It's very possible He may speak something through this Word to you that, that I have nothing to say about. Maybe it's just between you and God, and that's what we want to happen right now, for it to be a powerful time of worship in His Word, okay? Which, as I turn there, I want to encourage you, if you do not have a Bible... If you do not have a Bible or if you've lost your Bible, I want you to write this down, okay? Christianbook.com. Write that down. Bibles are up to 80% off all the way from now until tomorrow, okay? They have uh, multicolored Bibles. They have camo Bibles. They can have any kind of Bible you want. They even have like a survival Bible. You can just go live in the woods like a mountain man and, and uh, read God's Word. And if you have a Bible on your phone or a device, that's okay. I get a little distracted whenever I do that, but I do love, uh, I have an app on my phone, ESV Bible app, but there's many Bible Gateway, many different apps, as long as it's God's Word. If you need help on translations, I'm sure any of the pastors would love to talk to you about that. Uh, The message is not a translation of the Bible, it's a pretty much a commentary, and it can be helpful, uh, but... Don't substitute that. Let it be God's holy word, okay? And today I'll be uh, reading from, normally I preach out of the New American Standard or the English Standard Version. So today, if you're wondering what version I'm using, is the English Standard Version, James chapter 5, okay? All right, everyone take a deep breath. Okay, you feel better? Anyone need to stretch? Don't want you to pull something as we get into James chapter 5, Okay? We're going to take it in sections. We're going to take it in three different waves, the first being verses 1 through 6. So to to honor the reading of God's Word, I'd like to ask you to please stand if you're physically able. Verses 1 through 6. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, Come now, you rich, wheat and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Well, James is just in a great mood, isn't he, writing this chapter? Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I pray that you would remove me from this equation. God, that you would hide me behind the cross. God, I pray for your word to speak. God, that today the saints would be encouraged. The lost would be found. God, that you would be the chain breaker that you are in our lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. May be seated. Well, the first part of this chapter is kind of gloom and doom. It's kind of, kind of like, whoa, James, what's going on? We'll give you some context. James is writing to Jew- Jewish believers, and there's really not a middle class. There is the rich class and the low class. There's the rich and the poor. And James, uh, in this Jewish church that he's writing to, Apparently, there are some that are believers, and there are also some people in the church that are not saved. They don't know the Lord. And so what he's doing is he's calling out the rich. And it's a warning. And he's basically saying, don't be a hoarder. Don't, uh, the, the problem is not the money. That's not the issue that James has a problem with. There's nothing wrong with money in, in and of itself. The problem is how the rich came about this money. And then number two, what they're doing with it now. And so you may know that the more stuff you have, the more stress you have in your life because you've got to keep up with all that stuff. I've kind of enjoyed having all of our stuff in storage for eight months. It's been kind of nice. We have a love seat and some mattresses on the floor, and we're great. We still have, we still have clothes in our suitcases, if you want me to be very honest. And it's kind of exciting, but the adventure is about to wear off. But... It's been a good thing. But their money wasn't being used to bless other people. They were using it to store up. Church, I wonder when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a lot of money sitting in Baptist accounts. It's going to go to waste when the Lord comes back. He blesses us to be a blessing. Illustration I'd like to share, the, the Sea of Galilee over in Israel. It's deep and filled with life and thousands upon thousands of fish. And the Jordan River runs into that sea. A lot of wildlife, plants, birds, fish, all that good stuff. Why is the Sea of Galilee filled with life? Well, because it it receives. The Jordan River flows into it. And then it pours out. The Jordan River flows out of it. That's how we should be as believers. We should receive and pour out. But if you go down a further, further south in Israel, you, find, you come to the, the what? The Dead Sea. It's filled with salt. Because see, all it does is it takes and takes and takes and takes, and it never pours out. Ever. There's no life in it. In fact, I swam in it myself. You can sit back like a recliner and just float without swimmies. It's awesome. But there's no... There's no bugs. There's not even a mosquito flying over because it can't contain life. I think many times, Christians today in America, we come, we sit, soak, and we sour. We take and take and take and take, and we begin to think that church is all about us and what we can get out of it. The reality, it's not. It's about the king of all kings. The Lord is the one that pays the real estate taxes on the universe, not you, not me. And he expects us especially those that are sons and daughters, been born again into his kingdom to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he pours things into us, not just money, but there are people that have invested their lives into us. 
And we need to be good stewards of that to pour back out into others. James points out that we should trust in the Lord, not our own ability. You know, a lot of people I find and try to talk to about the Lord, they don't need the Lord. You know, they, they think, well, I've got enough money. I don't need, I, why do I need to go to church? Why do I need the Lord? And I think the enemy has just lied to our culture. You know, people think they don't need the Lord when absolutely they do. So money's not the problem. Next we see, James, he shares many things there. He talks about the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields because these people, they gained this money through ill-gotten gain. They corrupt. They did not pay their workers. And the cry of those workers reached God's ear. You see, God has a special heart for the poor. We saw that a few weeks ago. The Lord, he has a history of always hearing the cry of the poor and always caring about the poor. In fact, using the poor for his glory. He could go heroes of the Bible all through the Old Testament and through the New. Next we see, the next wave we'd like to cover is patience and suffering, verses 7 through 12. Now the reality is there's always a hurting, broken heart on every pew and every chair. And maybe that's you today. And if so, you're in the right place. God has a word for you. Let's read verses 7 all the way through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You see that? The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So if you came here this morning thinking otherwise, forget it. He is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James is writing to this church saying, be patient. When life is hard, be patient. When things don't make sense, be patient. Trust the Lord. Trust his nature. Trust his will. The righteous should wait on the Lord. Because Jesus is coming back, and he's going to make all the wrongs right. James uses an an example about a farmer. He talks about the early rains and the late rains, and how the farmer has to wait for the crops. We haven't had to wait on the rain at all this summer, have we, here on the coast? Not at all. It's been coming, whether we like it or not. But the reality is today that your life may be thirsty. Your life may be dried up. You may be starving for something to happen on this day for the Lord, for a breakthrough in your life. Friend, be patient. God cares, and he sees you. He knows a number of hairs on your head. Or if you're like me, he knows how many hairs fell out this past week. He loves you. He's faithful. When nobody else cares, the Lord cares. He loves you like crazy. 
His love for you is deeper and wider than the ocean. He proved it on the cross. So stop believing the lie that the Lord doesn't care. He does. Whether you like it or not, he cares. Whether you're asleep right now during the sermon, he cares. He loves you anyways. Jesus is alive and well. He inviting you to be a part of his kingdom. Only God brings the crop. Only God causes it to rain. God has called us to sow the, the fields, to work, to be busy with the kingdom work. Which brings me to say, we need some help with our children's ministry volunteers. God just keeps sending all these kids from all over the place. I don't know where they come from. They just keep coming. And that's a good thing, yes. And we are working every day to make it more secure, our children's ministry more secure, and to make sure that they hear the Word of God taught in a way that they understand it. Then we pray over them. We have some incredible volunteers, Sunday school teachers, children's ministry workers that are doing a phenomenal job, and we're so grateful. But they need more help. And so maybe today the Lord's putting that on your heart, that you can help serve we need people to welcome people here at the church house. We have all kinds of things. September 24th, we have a ministry day plan. It's called Go Day. And I want to invite you to go ahead and put that on your calendar. It's going to be exciting. We're going to have booths set up in the multipurpose room, ministries from all inside of our church, but also from outside of our church. Places that you can, get, you can find out how to serve, how to get plugged in. We'll have a Samaritan's Purse table. We'll have a Uh, many different types of ministries. We'll have mission trip opportunities that you can learn about. So be thinking about that day, go day. Dr. Gordon Fort, Vice President of the International Mission Board, is going to be preaching that morning. And then we have uh, some missionaries from our church uh, in Southeast Asia that are coming, that will actually be home on that Sunday, and they're going to share that Sunday night. So mark that in your calendar. Okay. I didn't plan on sharing that. That just kind of came out. Then James writes, talking about suffering to encourage the saints, you know what he said? He said, consider the prophets. Consider the prophets of the Old Testament. Well, let's do that. Let's think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He spent his whole life crying out for people to repent, to turn to the Lord, to see that God is good. He's for them, not against them. And what happened? He was beaten up. He was thrown in prison. His own family abandoned him. He was put... In the stocks, he was literally the laughing stock of town. You see, if you follow Jesus with all your heart, people will hate your guts. I mean, you can love them, be as nice as you want to, but if you have the Lord inside of you, people will hate you. We shouldn't be surprised. God's called us to love the world. Think about the Lord Jesus. He never cursed anyone. He never... All he did was love and heal every day. And they nailed him to a cross. See, the gospel is offensive. But in the gospels found hope. Jesus paid for your sins and my sins on the cross. The problem with some people here today is you think you've got to get your life together to come to know the Lord. That's not it, friend. Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. He wants you to come to him just as you are, and then he will begin that process of straightening you out, 
that process of sanctification. But Jeremiah, one time he was lowered into the cisterns. It was disgusting. He was sinking down into the miry clay. And even then, he tried to hold God's word inside of him, and he said that he couldn't. It was like a fire inside of his bones. It's better to be lonely and with the Lord than to have the world sing your praises and not be right with God. Think about Job, prophet of old. Job, if you read the first part of Job, he really wasn't that patient of a guy. Now, if you read the end of the book of Job, he was very patient because God taught him patience. Chuck Swindoll says that true patience is waiting without worrying. That's so true. And then at the end of this patience and suffering, James reminds us, hey, don't make any promises you can't keep. Don't tell someone you're going to do something and not do it. How many times? You look at social media today. Somebody asks for a prayer request, you'll have a hundred comments, says pray. And sometimes people do pray. But I fear a lot of times we tell people that we're going to pray for them and we don't do it. And if we do that, that's straight up lying to them. So I want to encourage you, pray for them in person. And then if you say you're going to pray for them, write it down. Put a, put a note on your cell phone. Even the flip phones, you can put notes in those things. And, and write it down if you're going to say you're going to pray. You know, if the church, if we prayed as much as we say we do, revival would be happening every day. I'm convinced of that. But next we see in verses 13 through 20, the prayer of faith, the prayer of the righteous. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. Let's read it. In fact, let's just take it a few verses at a time. Is anyone among you suffering? Anybody here today suffering? You better believe it. Probably half the crowd suffering. And that's okay. You see, God hadn't said, when you come to church, you've got to have a smile on your face all the time. You know, just like a plastic smile on your face all the time. That, God doesn't expect that out of you. He understands sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you have a tough week. Sometimes your family's falling apart. Sometimes you lose your job. Sometimes things are not okay. And if that's you today, James has a word for you. He says, let him pray. Let her pray. So if that's you today, you can pray right. You can stop listening to me right now and just start praying. James encourages the people that are suffering pray. Why pray? Well, because you have the ear of the Father. God's ear is not too far that he cannot hear you. And his arm is not too short that he cannot reach down and help. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Hey, if you're cheerful, if you're excited today, then you need to sing. Don't let anybody keep you from singing. You sing like you believe the gospel. You sing and you don't let anybody stop you. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now I would say that this is a little bit of a difficult passage because you see you have to dive into the original language to see what's happening here. Now, to start off, I want to just do a disclaimer. Hopefully you believe that God is a supernatural God, that he can do anything. I know that for a fact. You know why? Because he saved me. Right? I am saved. I'm born again. That is a supernatural act. I could have never accomplished that on my own. 
But God can do anything he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it. And he doesn't have to ask you or me for our permission. Brother Al spent some time in India, and most of the believers that I met there, I'd say, well, how did you come to know Jesus? And time after time after time, they would say, well, God healed me, and that's when I came to know faith. Like, he gave me a physical healing, and then because of that, I knew that Jesus was, the, my, was God, and I trusted him with my life. Now, they don't teach that a lot at the cemetery, I mean the seminary. And... But if you read the Bible, people can be healed in the name of Jesus. Now, not always. Not always. Let's see what it says. Call the elders. That word for elders is presbyteros. It's where we get our word Presbyterian from. It doesn't necessarily mean an overseer or an under-shepherd pastor. It means basically the spiritual leaders of the congregation, the the people that are the leaders locally in the church. Call them together. Call the church people together. Lay hands on them. Look at what it says. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this is when it gets hairy. listen, Listen to me and you be the judge for yourselves. There's two words used for anointing in the New Testament. There's creo... There's alapho. Creo is talking about the anointing of Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed. It all also symbolizes when the anointing of the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Creo. Alapho is most of the time mentioned talking about an actual oil, an ointment. Alapho is used in Matthew chapter 6, verse 17, when Jesus said to the disciples, When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Okay? The word here in, in the book of James, chapter 5, is alapho. It's talking about oil. Many scholars that I love and trust and believe, believe that there is a medicinal purpose to this oil. In other words, they believe that the, the interpretation of the scripture is to say that pray, get the elders to pray that God heals them, but also find the best doctor possible. Find the best medical help. Find the best cream, the best ointment, and put it on the sick. There's other scholars whom I love and trust and believe and think they're heroes of the faith. They would say that this oil is simply just symbolic. That this oil is symbolic to symbolize that spirit, the anointing of God. Now, regardless, here's the good news today that you can be sure of. That nevertheless, it's still symbolic either way. Because, notice it says, with oil in the name of the Lord. You see that little phrase? At the end of verse 14? If the oil in and of itself had power, that wouldn't be in there. That means... Hear me say this, that no oil on this planet has supernatural powers. And when people tell you that, back away from them real slow, okay? Now, there are oils that have some natural benefits and that can help people, right? We believe that. We know that. You know, tea tree oil can pretty much cure anything, apparently, and you can put that on your pets. I went to Amish house one time. I said, what do you put on your dogs to keep the fleas off? They said, tea tree oil. I said, okay, I'm going to buy some of that. 
when we get our dog back, I'm going to put some oil on her. My dog is away with my parents. She's on vacation right now. But in the Roman times, many days when they would take a bath, they would put oil on their body. It was a fancy bath, essentially. It lasted longer. And then they would scrape off that oil before they took a bath to clean their skin, to clean off the dead skin cells. So, you be the interpreter of how this speaks to you, but the reality is, is that I believe this, the anointing is symbolic. No oil has supernatural power, nor is there any holy water. When we get baptized in this water, baptism is symbolic. The Lord's Supper is symbolic. It's a hairy thing. Many people believe this actual body and blood of Jesus. No, friend, that would be strange. It's symbolic. This is just like bathtub water. Actually, this is more like chocolate milk, but no, it's good water. I drink it all the time. It's good water. I feel great. There's a lot of people that don't have any water today. Thousands, actually, thirsting to death. Then James brings this guy up, Elijah. Well, let's, let's hit verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, you can confess it to God, but there's something powerful when you confess your sins to other people and get it out. Whew, man, something powerful. If you've ever been a part of a Bible study like that, it's contagious. Somebody just takes a, walks out on that water and kind of opens up and is vulnerable. What happens? Man, it's like a domino effect, and it's powerful. And I think that's what James is talking about, so that you may be healed all the way. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. And then there's this powerful line. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Your translation may say it a little differently. A righteous person, when they pray, has great power. What does that mean? Wow. It means that faith in the Lord is what makes a man righteous. Abraham was credited to be righteous. Why? Because of his faith. And when you came to know Christ, you put your faith in Jesus to be your Lord and to be your Savior. Christ imputed his righteousness into your life. He was made to be a propitiation for your sins. It means that when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. That's a good thing, friend. That's a good thing. When you, when you have crazy stuff going through your brain, it's okay to know that you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But let's think about Elijah, verse 17. Look, look at it. Elijah was a, was a man with a nature like ours. There you go. See, Elijah is not untouchable. He is a man with a nature like ours. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, is trying to say to the church, hey, we have the same power, the same availability of the Spirit of God, the same ear of the Father that Elijah the prophet had. That's a powerful truth. And he prayed fervently. Have you prayed fervently lately? Have you prayed passionate prayers? Where are the people of God? That are praying passionately. 
In case you did not know, most of the Gulf Coast is lost. Most of Mississippi is lost. Most of the United States is lost. We're born into sin, falling short of the glory of God. And that should move you. That should bother you. That should concern you. When you, when you discover the treasure, when you discover good news, when Christ saves you, you want to tell other people. Is that you? And the goal is not to get everybody to come to First Baptist Church, Bay St. Louis. That's not the goal. The goal is to introduce them to Jesus with hopes that they repent and receive Christ as Lord. And then that they are discipled. And then that they are sent out to make disciples and to plant churches. We're called to reproduce Jesus, not reproduce ourselves. So, how does a righteous man pray? Glad you asked. There's five things about the life of Elijah that I'd like us to see quickly. Because if you want to know how to pray a powerful prayer, we need to look at what Elijah did. Number one, Elijah depended totally on the Lord. Did you know that in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, that it was ravens that fed Elijah? I was reading that yesterday, and I thought, that's disgusting. What kind of meat was he eating that the ravens were bringing? I bet he was grateful because he was hungry. But he depended totally on the Lord. He was completely at the mercy of God. That's how God wants us to be every week, to depend totally upon him. Number two, Elijah prayed specifically. He prayed specifically, Lord, don't let it rain. Lord, let it rain. Do you pray specifically? If God answered all of your prayers from last week, would you know it? If God answered every single prayer that you prayed last week, would you know it this week? Number three, Elijah prayed big prayers. He prayed that the widow's son would come back to life. He called down fire from heaven to burn up the offering. That's a big prayer, calling down fire from heaven. Elijah believed that God is able I believe the Lord's here today in the house looking for somebody to believe that he's able. Looking to take God at his word. Is that you today? You can be that, Elijah. Belief is contagious. We're about to start a new series starting next week. Together we believe. Belief, it is contagious. Have you prayed big prayers lately? Or do your, your prayers really offend God? I mean, what you pray really reveals what you believe, doesn't it? I mean, because if God's Word says the Lord can do anything, nothing's impossible with God, and then we live our life like He can't do anything. I mean, don't you think the angels are laughing at us? Don't you think that may offend the Lord a little bit? We listen to the enemy too often. We listen to American culture too often. Elijah prayed big prayers. May we be a people at this church that pray big prayers. Number four, Elijah's prayers pointed people to the Lord. Do your prayers point people to Christ? Elijah's prayers, they pointed people to the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 37. Listen to these words. Elijah prayed, O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Elijah called down fire, not for his own glory, but so that people would know that God is the only God 
in heaven and on earth. And lastly, we see that Elijah prayed with persistence. Is that your prayer life? Elijah prayed with persistence. First Kings chapter 18, he climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He climbed to the top of a mountain. That is persistent prayer. Climbed to the top of the mountain to pray. And then he prayed a long time. He sent his helper seven times to go look at the clouds to see if the rain was coming. Seven different times he sent the helper. The, our problem is when we pray, we pray two or three or four times for something, and then God doesn't answer our prayer how we think he should, and then we stop. When maybe we're just almost there if we would be persistent. God answers the prayers of a righteous person. It availeth much. Prayer moves the hand of God. May we be a praying people. Prayer is key. Prayer is the key for our personal lives, and it's key for our church. And then lastly, as we get ready to close, James reminds people that are in the church that have wandered from the truth that they can come back home. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Somebody that's trying to reach people with the gospel, they're probably saved and their sins are forgiven. If any of you wanders away from the truth today, friend, whether you're a teenager in the balcony, no matter your age in this house, the Lord wants you to come back home. He wants you to be made right. He wants to clean you up. He wants to purify you. He wants to take all of your junk. You may say, well, Pastor Brother, you don't know how, all the vile things in my life. You don't know all the things that I've done. No, I don't, friend, but I know that the blood of Jesus is powerful. And it's sufficient to pay for all your sins. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Today, do you want to be forgiven? The Lord is standing ready to forgive you. Ready to clean you up. Ready for you to be aligned back to the truth. And the truth is, the Lord loves you. He loves every person. He wishes that none should perish, but all to come to repentance. That's his heart. He's full of mercy and compassion. Today, there's people here that need to be saved. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. What do I need to do? You need to come to God and say, Lord, it's me. If your name is John, say, Lord, it's me, John. And God, I come to you admitting that I am a sinner separated from you. God, I admit to you that I need you. God, I admit that I have sinned and transgressed against you, God. And Lord, I want to ask you to forgive me. And God, I believe that Jesus, your son, was sent to this earth. And he died in my place on the cross. Whoever believes the name of Jesus will be saved. If you confess your sins and believe... He will forgive you. Not based on what you've done, but based on the cross and the gospel. Jesus rose again from that grave three days later. He defeated death and pain and brokenness. And he defeated and disarmed Satan once and for all. Today, do you know this, Jesus? 
Do you have a personal relationship with him? He already knows you, but the Bible says you're an enemy of God unless you repent it and been born again. Today, you can be born again. We'd love to talk with you about how to do that. We'll be here during this time of invitation. Maybe you know a Sunday school teacher that you'd like to grab. Maybe it's a deacon in our church. Maybe it's just a member that loves Jesus. Just ask him. Say, hey, I think God's leading me to come and know him. Right? I think God is wanting me to get saved right now. Say, will you mind going and praying with, praying with me at the altar? You're welcome to walk out of here and use one of our Sunday school rooms. You're welcome to walk out front on the side of the street. You may say, well, I don't want to, be, want to tell everybody. Friend, Jesus was hung on a cross naked in front of the whole world to see for you. Be unashamed of him. He's faithful, he is awesome, and he has a plan for your life. How will you respond today?